If we're going to ask, are there animals in the afterlife? The question we'd have to ask after that is why? What I mean is, as the human race throughout history, we've been asking, why are there animals here in this world? As we've studied them, we've found out that animals are actually a reflection of their environment. If something's got a long neck, it's because that neck gives you an advantage in getting food in that terrain. If you have a streamlined shape, it's because the medium you live in favors that shape. So in a way, animals are how life expresses itself in a particular environment. But maybe the most striking thing we've found is that essentially, we're all expressions of one life. Genetically, we all emerged from the same tree. So that's the physical, based on physical mechanisms, but tonight we're going to look at what's at the source of all that, at a spiritual dynamic that's perhaps even more interesting, intimate, and revealing of what life is, why cultures all over the world see animals as spiritual symbols, and even who God is. We'll look at that, and, just because we can, we'll look at just how far life can go when it's not held down by matter. Stay tuned. everybody, welcome back to another episode of Swedenborg and Life. Uh, this is the way that the Swedenborg stuff is, we ask a simple question. Are there animals in the afterlife? And we've got to get into everything that underlies that, all the mechanisms, physical, spiritual, and uh, the, the nature of God and all this stuff just to get there. Because that's what Swedenborg does. He doesn't just visit places and have experiences. He learns the entire like the science behind it, what you have to know to do a test on the thing. And so we're going to arm you should you ever have to pass that test yourself. My name is Curtis Childs. I'm the host. And if you want to have questions, if you want to have questions, you can have them. And if you want to send them in, you can send them in here. Check out that. That is an indicator to, if you're in the live chat, get your questions in. If it's post the whole thing, um, you know, just put your question where YouTube has it and we'll try to get to it in time. Like I said, we start with a simple question, but to get to the answer to that, we have to go through, you know, an hour's worth of content like we do. We want to talk about animals in the afterlife, the spiritual dynamic that underlies animals as they are here and there. Um, and I would say with Swedenborg, a lot of his answers to questions and things are, are intuitive and, and comforting and, oh yeah, of course it is like that. That, that makes sense. This one is a little of both. You know, you, you're going to get some things that, oh yeah, that that's just right. That And some things that are a little bit puzzling and new and different and strange. And we're just going to walk through it together. I'd love to hear your thoughts on all this as we, as we piece it together, all right? So that's about enough time in the intro. Let's start by looking at, if we're going to look at animals, we got to look at the source of everything. So let's find out what's behind the phenomena of species in the first place in part one. So there's this, there's like a fl fly, or maybe it's like a flying ant or something on, on one of these lights here, and I'm thinking he's going to, watching this show to see if I'm getting it right, because he's going to chime in like, no, that's absolutely not what I am. So we'll hopefully hear from him if he flies on the camera lens or something like that. All right, so the, we want to start with the origin of all species, and we want to talk about how the physical world is a correspondence of the spiritual world. And I, I would love to go back through the show and find all the like 13 second clips of me trying to, um, you know, summarize this thing succinctly because there's just, you know, 
It's a concept that comes up over and over in Swedenborg. I'll try to explain it. Correspondence means the physical world reflects the spiritual world. The physical world is like an outer skin on what is spiritual. So everything we see in this life is telling us something or is, or is an echo or an effect of something spiritual. Swedenborg calls the spiritual world the world of causes and the physical world the world of effects. So we're here in the world of effects, and he comments further on this in True Christianity 75. Me. I have a little bit of a cough today, but don't worry, you, you can't catch it through the computer. There are two worlds, a spiritual world where there are angels and spirits and a physical world where there are people. Both worlds have sons. The sun in the spiritual world is pure love from Jehovah God, who is within that sun. The spiritual sun radiates heat and light. The essence of the heat it radiates is love, and the essence of the light is wisdom. That heat and that light have an effect on people's wills and intellects. Those are the two primary parts of a person, according to Swedenborg. Basically, your feelings and thoughts. The heat affects the will. The light affects the intellect. The sun in the physical world is pure fire. As a result, the heat and the light from it are dead. Physical heat and light serve as a clothing for spiritual heat and light and as a device through which spiritual heat and light reach people. Uh, So he's essentially saying that the physical world on its own wouldn't be animated at all. There are spiritual forces that are interacting with physical, and that's what's bringing life. And he says that the physical is a is a mechanism through which the spiritual can reach people, and I, I think that you could take that a couple of ways. I take it to mean both that in observing physical heat, and I mean, you know, feeling physical heat and observing physical light, we can get insight into these deeper things they represent, but then also, you know, heat and light are essential components to life, so it allows us to have our our lives here in the physical world, and from that, we can learn and connect to spiritual things. So, I mean, take that either way, you know. He goes on, this is about how spiritual reality is real substance. This is True Christianity 76. You must keep in mind, though, that the love and the wisdom that become one in God are not love and wisdom in the abstract. Think of them as a substance in Him. God is the absolute, the first, and the only substance or essence that exists in itself and subsists of itself. Why are we taking this tangent? Because this is part of the setup. This is part of understanding why spirit, the spiritual part of animals is like it is. We're going to get there. It's important to grasp this concept, though, initially. We kind of think of the spiritual world as, if we imagine that there is such a thing, we think of it as a little, like, sort of flu-flu, or it's... it's um ethereal, it's not really tangible, but Swedenborg is asserting here that actually it's the opposite, and we actually do a little bit to kind of, you know, perpetuate that myth on this show because of how the way we portray the spiritual world. Let me give you an example. So this is, let's say this is the physical world. It is actually the physical world. Somebody took a picture of it. That's what it looks like. We kind of can get into where we picture the spiritual world like this. Uh, It's like washed out and light, and there's people there who are silhouettes. Now, we love using silhouettes to represent you know, angels or something higher, but really, as Swedenborg describes it, the physical world is, I mean, the spiritual world is more like this. It's real. Like, the people are real. These are the actual photos of real people we know went to heaven. The people are real. The animals are real. The Everything is actually clearer and more real and more tangible. Like, it's it's like this, what we have here is a less vivid coffee, a copy of that, a less vivid coffee of that. So, um, that's what we're talking about. If, if we don't have that in mind, we're just going to start to think that the spiritual root of things is, is less real, and that's not at all what, what the reality is. And you don't have to even ask Swedenborg about that. Anyone who's had some kind of experience will come back and tell you 
it was more real over there. This is less real here. So everything in this world is a, re- is a reflection of that reality that's behind it. Uh, everything positive and negative is this reflection of Swedenborg is saying love and wisdom. Actually, God's love and wisdom is imaged in everything around us. And he learned this, one of the times he learned it was through a particular experience he had where he was meditating. He says, he he tells this story that he was meditating on the creation of the universe. And that while he was doing that, he was interacting with a community of angels. And then another angel came up to him and said, hey, I, I heard that you were thinking about creation and that was pumping those angels up. I'm going to show you now how God produces animals. And this is why this is relevant to this show. So we're going to hear that story as it played out. This is the angel and Swedenborg interacting. This is from his True Christianity 78. The angel took me down to a huge green meadow and said, look around. I looked around and saw birds of gorgeous colors. Some were flying, some were sitting on trees, and some were down in the meadow plucking the petals off roses. Among the birds were also doves and swans. These things vanished from my sight, and then I saw not far from me flocks of sheep and lambs and of kids and nanny goats. Around the flocks I saw herds of cattle and calves, as well as camels and mules. In a grove I saw deer with tall antlers and also unicorns. After I had seen that, the angel said, Turn your face to the east. I saw a garden with fruit trees. Then the angel said, Now look to the south. I saw crops of various kinds. To the north, however, I saw woods. When I had seen that, the angel said, All the things you saw correspond to different feelings of love felt by the angels who were nearby. He listed the feeling each thing corresponded to. In fact, he went on, those things are not the only correspondences. Everything else that takes a visible form before our eyes is also a correspondence. From all of these things, we become aware of the quality of love and wisdom in each person. So in the spiritual world, these things are appearing. And first thing that solves for us is, yes, there are animals in the afterlife. And, and not just animals, but all kinds of animals. And even, I don't know if you noticed it in there, uh, there, there were animals that we don't even have here. He mentioned unicorns, um, which we talked about a little bit in a previous show. We obviously didn't have footage of that, but it's there. So... There are animals, they look like animals here, there are landscapes, there are plants. It's all there. Um, And not only that, the angel is saying, we can read mysteries of wisdom out of this stuff. And I think that the real, to me, the most interesting part comes right after that. We're going to continue in that number because our conversation isn't finished. This is 78, True Christianity 78 uh, from 1 and 3. By the way, click this book, download it if you want it. It's free. Swedenborg.com. So, again, an angel from some community in heaven said, The purpose of showing you these things was for you to be able to see the whole of creation from a particular instance. God is absolute love and absolute wisdom. His love includes an infinite number of feelings. His wisdom includes an infinite number of perceptions. So we've got God being love and wisdom with an infinite number of feelings and perceptions. The correspondences or the symbols or the uh, embodiments of those feelings and perceptions are all the things that appear on earth. This is where the birds and animals come from. This is where the trees and shrubs come from. This is where the grains and crops come from. This is where plants and grasses come from. 
God is not extended, meaning, that's a philosophical term, meaning he's not like big and wide, but he is everywhere in what is extended, or he doesn't have like three-dimensional space, but he's everywhere in what is extended. He is in the universe from beginning to end. Because, because he is omnipresent, correspondences of the qualities of his love and wisdom are found everywhere in the physical world. In our world, called the spiritual world, there are similar correspondences surrounding those who receive feelings and perceptions from God. The difference is that in our world, God creates things of this kind in a moment to match the feelings of angels, while in your world, things like this were originally created in a similar way, but there was a provision for their perennial renewal from generation to generation, and so creation goes on. That's, there's a lot of material in there. You've got um, the difference between the physical and the spiritual world and propagation in there. I think the, the takeaway, though, is that animals, plants, all this stuff are are each an individual embodiment of a quality of God, that there are these infinite qualities of God, and the living, these proceed out from God, and the living soul that's within each of, each of these creatures is this little part of God. And that makes me think of, um, uh, well, it makes me think of the genetic tree that we were talking about before. Because you have this one life, which is God, which people, animals, everything comes from God. Um, you know, just like physically, I told you, I told you I had a cough. Uh, physically, speaking of physical health, physically, everything is an expression of one life. Meaning, there was this progression, according to current evolutionary theory, that there has been animals, and they continue to move and evolve and occupy different niches and deal to, with different climactic conditions and different variations in the way that the environment is. And from that, you get all these different animals because you have a difference in form and structure and behavior in different species because of the conditions that they have to deal with, both biological, other animals and stuff like that, and physical, you know, heat, temperature, availability of water. And we're going to get to that a little bit more. So you have this one life expressing itself in all those different ways. But with what Swedenborg is talking about here, he's saying that there is an expression of these feelings and thoughts or of these perceptions and, and bits of love that shows up as people in people as thoughts and feelings and in in animals as the soul of them so here's here's a little diagram that we have um you have god you know, there's a spiritual world there's a physical world so there's these infinite number of things in god and the essence of these shows up in the spiritual world as animals and as animals that look just like animals we actually notice that the spiritual world row is in color well, the physical world row is black and white. And we did that just to remind people that the animals in the spiritual world are actually more real than the animals here. We're sort of seeing an echo of those animals, even as real as animals here are. This is according to Swedenborg. So there's this, instead of a one genetic legacy that's through everything, it's that everything is radiating out of God. That, that everything is a part of this whole. So animals are in the spiritual world, and does that mean that they have a soul? I mean, can we, can we say that animals have a soul? People have different opinions on this. Swedenborg comes down on the side. Of, oh, I'm not going to tell you yet. you got to wait for part two. But first, we're going to try this idea of animal symbolism or correspondence out. All right? This is a little uh, multiple-choice quiz that we're going to throw at you. So you put your correspondence hat on. See if you can guess right. See if you can start to tap into the nature of the kind of symbolism that Swedenborg says animals can have and what they can teach you. So here 
is the quiz. get it? Did you get that one right? Well, so you can see it's not something you would necessarily guess, but but it's there. And that there's, it's not the only symbolism of that animal, but you can start to see how like the something of the mind can soar like that. And I believe that is why you get the particular feeling you get looking at a bird in flight. There's a lot more to explore there. For now, though, we're going to look at the souls of animals. And in this part, we're going to f- see that there's a relationship between humans and animals that is actually more intimate and more intense than you would think prior to Swedenborg. And this is also, though, where we're going to get a little bit of strangeness in in what exactly are animals, how does the whole thing fit in. So walk with me, see what you think of Swedenborg's explanation of how the affections of all of us are joined. This is Divine Wisdom 12. He begins by saying, souls of life and living souls and plant souls are animated by the life that is from the Lord, by means of uses and according to uses. Now he explains what those terms mean. By souls of life, people and angels are meant. By living souls, animals are meant, which is where we got the title for this section, which are called in the word living souls, and by plant souls and trees are plants, plants of every kind are meant. So he go, he does go into detail in other places about what's the difference between these kinds of souls. We're not going to cover that here today. We got plenty of other stuff to talk about, but he does have that, and you can download the books and, and read up on it yourself, or we'll try to get to it later. And living souls are affections of various kinds. So now he's talking about animals again, living souls. Living souls are affections of various kinds corresponding to the life of those who are in the spiritual world, from which correspondence they might be called mediate lives. And that is a strange... What does that mean? Has anyone ever called anything immediate life before Swedenborg? What, what is immediate life or what are immediate lives? We actually went to the series editor of the new translation of Swedenborg's works, Dr. Jonathan Rose, to see what does Swedenborg mean by that phrase or, or do you have any thoughts on it? Have you encountered it before? Here's what he had to say. Immediate lives is sort of a strange, like what does that mean, immediate lives? It comes from the Latin vitae mediatae. And this is a phrase that Swedenborg only uses twice to the best of my knowledge. The vitae means lives. And I think it could be well rendered life forms. They are forms of life or life forms. And then the mediatae means that they have been mediated. They came through some other medium, some other means. Something else was in between. Mediatae comes from a Latin word meaning in the middle. So these are life forms that have come about as a result of a chain of some kind, and they're a later stop on the chain. And what's the stop before them? We're going to find out very soon. In the meantime, animation, he's talking about animals now. Animation means not only that they live, but also that they have being and exist. They are continually animated, that is, have life, being in existence from the Lord. Because when creation has once been completed, it is made continuous by means of influx from the Son of Heaven. So this is, again, God bringing life 
into these animals. So Swedenborg says that there's this chain of life, that it, it comes out, as we already saw in our previous diagram, through God, and then all these different parts are the souls of animals, as we says. However, there's a stop on the chain in between, and as we see in this diagram here, he says people are that stop. That whatever this essence is, this, this bit of love and wisdom, comes into people, and specifically people in the spiritual world. You can see our dotted line there, right? So we're still up in the spiritual world. Spirits and angels, this efflux from God gets into them as feelings and thoughts, as desires and, and rational knowledge of various kinds. And then through them is manifested into these spiritual animals. And then through them, we get the life force of animals that we see in the world. So there is this sort of chain that's going on. Now, <clears throat> you might think, that's a really cool idea. You know, the, hey, we're, we're part of the, the God is sending this thing out. It comes through us. It comes to animals. Or you might think, hey, wait a second. I don't like that at all. I, you know, why are people above animals in that um, diagram? It's just a diagram. I mean, we, we could have made it a different way. Uh, it does seem to flow in that order. However, there also seems to be a general influx from God directly into animals. Um, so there, there's, it's, it's complicated, but there is some kind of immediate, um, immediate relationship where animals in the spiritual world are directly related, sort, sort of co- cohabitate with people, with angels and spirits. And then from that, we get the diversity of species that we have here. So there's this intense emotional link between people and animals. And we see some kind of physical analog to that here. I don't know if you've ever looked at articles like these, but <clears throat> they're saying that it's actually a scientific fact that you look like your animals. You know, and animals can say things about your personality. You've probably seen those pictures. You see the dog and the owner, and they begin to look like each other. There may be some kind of spiritual connection, even there, that that we're both manifesting this thing that comes out of God in a different way, in human beings through our will and understanding, and in animals as the soul or life force. So somehow, there's this connection, and we're going to talk a little further uh, about the soul of animals in Apocalypse, explained 1199. Excuse me. He says, No one can understand the nature of the life of the beasts of the earth, of the birds of the heaven, and of the fish of the sea, unless they are also acquainted with the nature and quality of their soul. Anima. That's the, the word used there. That every animal has a soul is a well-known fact. For animals live, and life is the soul. For this reason, they are also called in the word living souls. That is, this soul in its ultimate form, which is corporeal, such as it appears before the sight, is an animal. Cannot be better known from any other source in the spiritual world. Sorry, I paused there, erect the sentence, but it's just such an interesting point. So this life of affections is an animal. For in the spiritual world, just as in the physical world, beasts, birds, and fishes of every kind are seen, and in form so similar that they cannot be distinguished from those which are in the physical world. So you have there this this real uh, real beings. It's not just like this is a manifestation of a thought or a feeling. This is a, a real animal. There, you see them. There, they move. They behave. They are indistinguishable. Swedenborg says from animals on this earth, except for the way that they come in and out of perception. All right, continuing. 
is that in the spiritual world they have an apparent existence from the affection of angels and spirits. And apparent, we just we got a new green highlighter, so we just wanted to highlight things with it. But also that apparent existence. Apparent is a term that Swedenborg is using. You in the English language, that would mean um, it sort of seems like it is, but it isn't really. In Swedenborg, what he's say the word behind that means more of a manifestation. So they're in a manifested existence. It doesn't mean they're not real. So they are appearances or manifestations of affections. For this reason, they also vanish as soon as the angel or spirit departs, or their affection ceases. It is therefore evident that their soul is nothing else, and consequently that there are many as many genera, genera and species of animals as there are genera and species of affections. Now, there's, so you might think that's weird, oh, vanishing animals. There's a lot of vanishing in the spiritual world, according to Swedenborg. People, when they disagree on a subject, vanish from sight. Whole scenes vanish. So animals are a part of it, but that's not a unique phenomenon to them. But it does seem that there is some kind of connection there between these angels and their animals. That they're so intertwined that when the angel leaves, the animals leave. And this this gets me thinking about pets. And you guys have probably already been thinking about pets this whole time. Or for some people, that's the only question. Like, are there pets in heaven? Do they get to come with us? Why are you taking so long to address this? So, unfortunately, Swedenborg completely leaves us in the dark about pets. He doesn't... I don't don't think you could even find... I have to do a search for it. I don't know if you'd even find the word pet, not in this context. In Swedenborg, I think the reason for that, like, why wouldn't he do it? If he was writing today... He'd do it right away because what I've found being on the web is that everyone's interested in pets and our pets going to be in heaven. But in Swedenborg's day, it was a different world in terms of the human-animal relationship. Uh, this is, I did read this article about the first lost dog poster, like the, the first recorded, my animal is missing, can, I, can somebody find it? And it was after Swedenborg's time that, that people have really gotten a lot more connected to animals. Maybe that's why he wasn't writing about it. I'm not sure. So that doesn't give me any other answers, though. So, But in difficult times, as we are in now, I have a show about animals. I don't know about the pets thing. I, I turn to my grandmother, like anyone would turn to. So Donette's been on our program before. She's actually written some some books based on Swedenborg and is a lifelong Swedenborgian. So I wanted to get her take on it. Uh, on, you know, does your dog show up in heaven? Do you, do you see your animals? Are they these affections that we're talking about that are embodied? So this is what she had to say about it. Um, obviously I'm a young lady. I just happen to live in an aging body and we know that the body is not as real as who we are. Who we are is much more what we love and what we think. Not if you cut off my arms, I'd still be me. (laughs) Um, Anyhow, so we ha- love our pets, and they are a part of us in a way. And so when we go to the other world, they're a true reflection of our loves and spirit. And they are more real than they were when on earth, because earthly things are nothing compared to spiritual things. In the other world, they're a reflection of our true loves, so there's a connection, a deep connection with the animals that surround us in the spiritual world. So I believe that the pets we love in this world will be part of our life in the other world. And at the end of this interview, just as a joke, I um, sort of, I was like, is there anyone you want to say hi to? And she had a message for my dog, so I, I thought it was cool, so I wanted to play it. 
for you. So here's what you wanted to say to my dog. I want to say something to Sprocket. Yeah. <laughs> and assure him that don't worry. <clears throat> if your owners die, you'll meet them in the other world. <laughs> anyway, I thought that was funny. So there you go. Um, it's going to be okay. Don't worry, boy. I'll be at the end of the tunnel waiting for you. Um, all I could, but something you can definitely pull out of Swedenborg. Uh, you know, it's he's not the best resource for the whole pets thing. Um, you can check out other people's experiences. We found a cool one on neardeath.com. Uh, check out Lynn's story. And she had some dogs, her dogs show up in hers. But you can, Swedenborg is not to be thrown aside because he gives all these fascinating details about how spiritual things work. And I think that one thing you can take away is that humans and animals have a more intimate connection than we ever could have thought. And this is from True Christianity 66. There are animals of every kind in that world, that world meaning the spiritual world. They are likenesses of the feelings of love and the resulting thoughts that angels have. The same goes for tree gardens, flower gardens, and lawns and meadows there. The angels are also given insights about what feeling this or that object represents. Surprisingly, when their inner sight is opened up, they recognize an image of themselves in the things around them. This happens because all people are their own love and their own thought. In everyone, there are a variety of multiplicity of feelings and thoughts, some of which relate to the feeling embodied in one animal, some to the feeling embodied in another. Therefore, the images of the angel's feelings take shape in that way. <coughs> There's that cough again I was telling you about. Three, we should get a little graphic for that, like a little like wind blowing. Can you guys make that up? Thanks. Um, so we, uh, we have these animals and these feelings, and I see it as this, you have a particular feeling. It's not a feeling like, oh, it feel, that feels nice. This The wind just blew. This is good. Uh, it's more like a, a lifelong passion or something you believe in or something you care about, something you identify with. You have that as a feeling, and there's an animal that that is that. That is their life, their soul. And so the two of you are connected. And so you, you, it's almost like they're your, your traveling companion. When you go around, you know, they're with you. They're around you. But it's not, it's not like... Um, a static, uh, a, um, a simplified, like they're a puppet on your hand, because Swedenborg says, angels, only when they get insight can they see themselves in the surroundings. So you can be walking around in nature, seeing these animals and every and plants and birds, everything, and you get this wave of insight, like, wow, this is telling me things about me, you know, and if if they could observe you, I guess they would see things about you. But you're that you're you're seeing this this outflow from God is being shared, represented in different ways by both of us, and we are all part of the same thing. So that's kind of cool. So this the, the things that we feel as emotions and thoughts have this direct connection to the the animals around us in the spiritual world, and by proxy, not directly. In the physical world, it's not like you can see, oh, there's a bird there, so I know that that's mine, But because there's a difference in how fields work, but we can, in general, learn things about our own psyche from the way the natural world works. But if you've ever been in the human psyche or been around other humans that share it, you know that it's not all good stuff. It's not all butterflies and rainbows. It, nature is not like that either. There are plenty of terrifying, horrific things that happen in nature, and According to Swedenborg's theory, that makes a lot of sense because there are equally horrific, terrifying thoughts and feelings and cravings that people have. And Swedenborg says this is part of the symbolism of animals, is that each animal can symbolize 
a positive or a negative aspect. Uh, that that uh, that a particular animal can be both something wonderful and life giving and something terrifying and and harmful, depending on which it's representing. And I'll give you some examples in case that sounds weird. Uh, we'll go to like let's talk about a lion. Swedenborg says that in a negative sense, a lion can symbolize the power of false reasonings that destroy truth. Like a lion in the mind is this thing, or a person who's like a lion is just going against the truth and trying to tear it to pieces. And we know lions are a terrifying thing. Like if the, you ever see the, the movie The Ghost in the Darkness, there was this pair of male lions that was, this was a while ago, but there was this people building a railroad, and these lions were just killing hundreds of them, just picking them off, didn't care at all about the people, they just go right after them. On the other hand, is there any animal more revered and and beloved than lions as for their majesty? And so, and isn't isn't God likened to a lion in the Bible? Swedenborg says the lion can also mean the power of divine truth. So it can be either one of those things, just based on the the particular embodiment there. So just like in real life, a lion can be harmful or inspiring. It also in in the land of symbolism can have a negative or positive um, correspondence. But that's not all. There's others. The wolf, we have, in the negative sense, a wolf is an eagerness to seize innocent people and do them harm, according to Swedenborg. And you can certainly see wolves cause... In Swedenborg's day, you know, when, when he was a kid... There was wolves coming into his the city he lived in and killing people because the winter had been harsh. We we now don't often have to deal with that because we've basically killed all the wolves off. But they can be vicious and they can attack. You ever seen them take down an elk or something? It's it's pretty brutal. However, on the other hand, wolves can be a very positive thing. We we domesticated a very close ancestor to theirs and we call it our best friend now. So wolves can also symbolize this eagerness to rescue people from evil. So, you know, this form of the dog as a, as a rescuer. Either of those can be a correspondence for it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Even the snake, even the snake who obviously has this negative symbolism, cunning, deceptive, and clever tactics of sensuous thinking, the Garden of Eden story. Snakes can kill you. I mean, there's a lot of species of snakes that can kill you, just like that kind of deception can kill a human mind. However... There's plenty of good symbolism of snakes. You know, our medical symbol has snakes in it. And you might think, oh, it's it's uh, you know, it's only sort of pagan ideas where snakes are a positive thing. But no, even within like Christianity, this is a picture of the story of um you know, they're in the wilderness and Moses holds up this uh this bronze serpent to heal them from their bite. So there's this positive imagery. And Swedenborg says in the good side, a snake can symbolize God's protective wisdom on the level of the senses. So there's those, and there's also even animals that, that don't exist in the physical world, like a dragon. Swedenborg says, in a negative sense, the earthly sensory level powered by selfish passion, and he has a lot to say about dragons that he met in the spiritual world that were causing all kinds of harm. But just look in mythology, you'll see all kinds of benevolent, helpful, life-giving dragons, and that that's the reverse sense, the earthly sensory level, when it serves God's wise purposes. It can be very destructive or very helpful. Um, so this is, there's all kinds of creatures and symbolism, and this is not something that you have to learn through Swedenborg. I mean, I'm just doing a little fly-through version here of his, but you know that there's symbolism all over the place in all kinds of traditions, and Swedenborg acknowledged that as well when it came to animals. This is Secrets of Heaven 2179. He says, the people of the earliest church 
communicated with spirits and angels and were oh, sorry communicated with spirits and angels and were constantly having visions and dreams like those of the prophets for this reason as soon as they saw an animal an awareness of its symbolism immediately leapt to mind and hasn't that stayed throughout all the the religions that now exist and the ones that were in the recent past you see this symbolism all over the place you know, you think about in Native American religions, you see the symbolism of spirit animals. Now we take like these quizzes online, what's your spirit animal? But this came out of a very serious tradition of seeing, you know, yourself particularly represented in an animal or, or certain animals, coyotes, etc., having these certain characteristics and power. You had um, dragons in, in um, Chinese mythology, all kinds of representation in Hinduism. You even see in things like the Zodiac. There are multiple versions of the Zodiac. They all have these animals that go with these different qualities. This is something that's all over the place, and you could spend uh, you know an entire career researching the symbolism there. Swedenborg is saying this animal symbolism is so prevalent because it's real, because there is this embodied, these animals really are the, the, the essential form of these qualities, and that's why we connect to them in the way that they that we do. So we want to look now at, we've been hanging around kind of close to the physical world here, we want to shoot off and give you some of Swedenborg's experiences with these uh, beyond animal encounters that he had in the spiritual world. But first, I want to give you two amazing things. Um, <clears throat> first of all, it's our fan video. You guys have been sending in awesome videos. We want to keep them coming. Off the left eye at gmail.com, send it in. And after that, we'll give you uh, our another animal quiz. But first, yeah, here's what somebody had to say about how Swedenborg affected them. Hi, guys. One of the ways Swedenborg has helped me is through the idea that we can gain some insight into the spiritual realm through what he calls correspondences. It's one of the most comforting correspondences for me has been um, mountains. We live in the Cascade Mountains, so I see a lot of them and, and uh, I just like to ponder their meaning and, and uh, it's brought a lot of comfort to me. Um, so yeah, that's one of the ways Swedenborg has helped me. Thanks for all you do. I like about that fan video she's talking about the we're talking about animal correspondences today but she was talking about the correspondences of mountains landscapes but those those go together like you have a mountain corresponding to a particular kind of a love or reverence or something and the, the animals that are on it correspond to you know the sub affections within that affection so the whole natural world is this seamless correspondence of the spiritual world so that's awesome thanks again for sending in that video yes we are going to look at the spiritual world now and Swedenborg's travels in it because we this show hasn't been weird enough yet so let's get weird all right there's all kinds of animals in the spiritual world according to Swedenborg let's set the scene here with apocalypse explained 1200 
Because the whole of heaven, the whole of hell, and the whole world of spirits are each divided into societies, and the societies arranged according to the genera and species of, or, of affections, and because the animals there are appearances of affections, as was just observed, as we observed in the earlier part of this show, therefore one genus of animal with its species appears in one society, and another in another, and all the genera of animals with their species in the societies taken together. That might sound not that exciting to you, but to me, that's cool. And let me tell you exactly why I think that's cool. In this world, as I was saying in the beginning, you have particular kinds of animals because of the habitats that they live in, meaning the process of natural selection has shaped them to to best suit their environment. So, for example, if you're in a desert, you don't have a lot of access to water. So, and you have a lot of heat coming down. So let's say if you're a little lizard, you need to be able to regulate your temperature. So you've got, you've adapted, maybe you've adapted some kind of a flap you can extend to let off excess heat. You've adapt, you've got a certain posture so you can capture more heat or not as much. And then also your skin, you've got these scales so that uh, you're not losing moisture. Sometimes you've got adaptations on your uh, feet so that you can burrow into the sand quickly and avoid predators. You've been shaped by your environment. So why are there different species? It's because of the environments that they're in. Like I said in the beginning, aquatic life. You know, everything in the ocean that's swimming pretty much is is got this one like sort of torpedo shape because that works so well with the, the way water friction is. And you've got to have that shape to be able to not burn too much energy moving in that direction. So these physical things set what the animals are like. But what's What's the habitat in the spiritual world? The habitat dictates the shape. What's the habitat in the spiritual world? It's the hearts and minds of the angels and the spirits. So the kinds of things that they foster in there creates this spiritual habitat that lets these species exist. So each society allows for this slightly different acceptance of what God is putting out and so that they create these spiritual landscapes that allow for these particular animals. So there's some obscure society that think that has a secret from God or, or a way of thinking that nobody else does. With them, there may be a species that exists nowhere else in the spiritual world. There is So there is this sort of spiritual taxonomy based on the habitat of the mind and the heart. And I guess that's only exciting if you're like a geek about biology, which I think I am. Okay, we can move on, but we've established that, and I and I admitted to you that I like the idea of species. So it might, but it's not always that everything in the spiritual world has to do with you. It's not all about you. You can see things there that aren't based on your affections or everything like that. It could be for a multitude of reasons that you're encountering these spiritual creatures. This is Secrets of Heaven 3218. When angels' emotions are active and that they're, t- they're talking about those emotions, their ideas are expressed among the spirits in a lower realm in representative images of animals. When the conversation is about positive emotions, animals that are pretty, tame, and useful present themselves. If anything ever appears sitting on one of these, it presents a kind of portrait of their thoughts, as honest spirits are allowed to perceive. So it could be that you're you're seeing the angels coming down into this form, or you're seeing their, their spirit animals with you here. And... Um, it's not just animals. We did. We talked about our in our show about gardening, the spiritual insights through gardening. We talked about how gardens can be a communication between higher and lower levels, and there's all this appearing and representing even humans. I mean, Swedenborg even talks about communities of animals. I mean, communities of people being represented as a single person. So you have 
all this kind of representing going on, but somehow animals are playing a crucial role in the whole thing. An animal can even be a representation of a whole society of people. Swedenborg talks about it in Spiritual Experiences 4705. <clears throat> he says, In the other life, there appear animals of various kinds. For instance, sheep, horses, serpents, you, you know, always put those together, right? And also camels and elephants. There were seen and appeared like living ones in the earth, and some wondered whence this was, whether there was life in them, or whether they were so created, meaning there's these animals appearing in the spiritual world, or whether they were so created there. It was afterwards manifested that there they were societies of spirits, to which such animals correspond, as, for instance, those who are in general knowledge to elephants and camels, which appeared thus. Are we starting to get weird? So there's a society of something of people of angels and spirits in the spiritual world and yet they can they correspond with or manifest in an elephant or a camel so if we were looking out at a panorama of of creatures in the spiritual world you would be seeing creatures but you would also be seeing these mysteries about the ways of life in the hearts and minds of other beings the the these spirits and angels that were behind them so you're, ne- you're never just seeing something in isolation, you're also seeing its connections to everything else, and that the way that animals are in ecosystem is a representation of the way that all the different thoughts and feelings uh, resonate with each other and interact and harmonize or disharmonize, and ultimately, it's all a portrait of God, that these are the things coming out of God. So somehow, that all works. And you may be saying to yourself, that's not that weird. You could be weirder. Okay, fine. Let's talk about therianthropy, which is the technical term, whoever came up with it, for shape-shifting. And yes, Swedenborg does meet a shape-shifter. He talks about it in Spiritual Experiences 4011. Here's a video from that. One was portrayed who during his life had cultivated only his memory and had measured everyone's intelligence and wisdom by their memory, considering a person to have as much wisdom as the amount of knowledge he retained in his memory. Whereas just the contrary is the case, namely that one is less wise the more one retains in the bodily memory. That person's quality of life was portrayed by an animal seen in dim light, of a yellow color, as a horse, as a cow, as a calf, as a dog. It was the portrayal of a horse, and the portrayal of those that followed arose in that horse, so that it was as if it were a single animal in which were all those others, or an animal composed of them. It was said that it was not a horse, yet was a horse, not a cow, yet was a cow, not a calf, yet was a calf, not a dog, yet was a dog. Thus, a single animal is sometimes portrayed in which there are other animals, as in a composite. Is that, you get your money's worth? Is that strange enough? So this, the, the nature of the affections in this one particular guy weren't just one thing, but they weren't just a bunch of different things. It was somehow this composite. This is the representation. I don't know how it works. Okay, that's not weird enough for you. Let's talk about two-headed uh, clergy-based turtles. This is actually an animal we referenced before in our episode, Eight Strange Places in the Afterlife. Um, but we want to go into here a little bit about why this particular turtle appeared and what it represented. So here's a little excerpt from Swedenborg's True Christianity about the two-headed ecclesiastical turtle. Then I saw the sea turtles, large and small. They had little baby sea turtles riding on their shells, looking around at the surrounding islands. 
the parent turtles had two heads. One head was large, and it was covered in a shell like the shell on their body, which made them look reddish. The other head was small, like a normal turtle's head. They would retract their smaller head into the front part of their body. By an unseen method, they would also put their smaller head inside their larger head. I kept my focus, however, on the large, reddish heads. I noticed that these heads had faces like those of human beings. They were talking with the boys and girls on the seats in the boats and licking the children's hands. Then the boys and girls began stroking the sea turtles and giving them things rich, wonderful food, and also expensive gifts such as silk for clothing, cypress wood for building material, purple cloth for beautification, and scarlet dye for dyeing cloth. When I saw these things, I was eager to know what they meant, because I knew that everything visible in the spiritual world is a correspondence and represents something spiritual having to do with feelings and thoughts. Then people began talking to me from heaven, saying, You know what the harbor represents, and also the boats, and the boys and girls on them. You don't know what the sea turtles represent. They continued, The sea turtles represent members of the clergy in the spiritual world who keep their faith completely separate from goodwill and its good works. Everybody is habitat. You have these particular religious leaders who are separating love from truth, meaning they are taking the ideas that are true in religion and just using them for personal gain or to to take vengeance on their enemies, which is really bad. However, that representation of that creates these cool turtles, so it's like positive and a negative. They created the habitat that, that allowed these particular animals to exist in this representation. That's what Swedenborg says. And the symbolism is not just when you're um, watching from afar. It can be an active part of conversations and that kind of thing. And it can teach not just about negative things, like clergy people who are abusing the system, but it can also teach you about the the highest, most heavenly things. This next um, clip that we're going to show is about the story uh, of how birds are representing what Swedenborg calls the spiritual or the heavenly marriage, uh, the union of these two. Remember we talked about love and wisdom coming out of God. The uniting of these two is what Swedenborg calls the heavenly marriage, and it's essential to um, the heaven that God is trying to create. And it, again, comes out in different levels. In human beings, it leads us toward the marital impulse, you know, but there is there is this symbolism that can be represented only by particular animal. So we're going to play you the story here. This We actually filmed uh, a stained glass window for this that's in the Bernathan Cathedral, because this is, a, as far as I know, the only cathedral based on Swedenborg's ideas, and they have a stained glass window depicting this story. So here's a story from Swedenborg's book, Married Love, and it's a, you'll hear them say the word conjugal love in there. At the end, it means the same thing as married love. So here, this is from number 270. While I was in the depth of this thought, lo, I saw two swans flying towards the north, and presently two birds of paradise flying towards the south, and also two turtle doves flying in the east. And as I followed their flight with my sight, I saw that the two swans bent their way from the north towards the east, likewise the two birds of paradise from the south. 
and that they joined the two turtle doves in the east and flew together to a certain lofty palace there, surrounded by olive trees, palms, and beaches. The palace had three tiers of windows, one above another, and as I was directing my attention to them, I saw the swans fly into the palace through the windows opened in the lowest tier, the birds of paradise through the windows opened in the middle tier, and the turtle doves through windows opened in the highest tier. As I observed this, an angel stood by and said, Do you understand the things you have seen? I replied, In some small degree. He said, This palace represents the dwelling places of conjugal love as they are in the human mind. Do you understand what you have seen? In some small degree. I imagine that's what we all say at the end of one of these episodes. Do you understand? Yeah, a little bit. So let me, let's break it down with a diagram. What are these different levels? So here's the whole scene. This is a depiction, the angel goes on to tell Swedenborg, that these three tiers of the palace are the levels of the mind, the celestial or heavenly as it's translated sometimes, the spiritual and the natural or physical. Married love is differently represented by these different birds here. On the celestial level, married love is the love of good with its wisdom, which is manifested or corresponded with these turtle doves. They are an image and a likeness of it. On the spiritual level, married love is the love of truth with its intelligence, which is embodied by these birds of paradise. And then on the natural or physical level, the married love is the love of what is just and right with its knowledge. And that's embodied by swans. And he says that in each level there is two apartments, one for love and one for wisdom. And in the front there's a bedchamber where they come together. And it may seem strange that those are um, representations of is calling it married love, but it's things like what is just and right with its knowledge because they're, they're inseparable. The, the human inclination to pair up is related to this pairing of the good and the true and is represented by these animals. So it's all tied together. Anyway, that's that. Uh, animals appearing to tell things about married love or or the the heavenly marriage is something that comes up throughout Swedenborg's works. He even has a scenario once where he's talking to a group of angel wives or married female angels, and he wants to ask them some things about the secrets of, of the spiritual essence of their marriages, and they say, yeah, we'll tell you about it because there's this dove that's out their window, and because of what it's holding, it's holding this olive branch, all of the correspondences show these angels, yeah, it's okay, we can tell this, we can trust this guy. Somehow they can read that from what's around them, so they talk, but then as soon as the dove flies away, they say, all right, we, we can't tell you anymore. And so Swedenborg is like, all right, all right, I'm going to go talk to the husbands. So he starts to talk to the men about it. He says, um, can you tell me some of the, the secrets of it? And they, they look out the window and they see this swan in the kind of it, tree it's sitting in, all the details of it. Tell them, all right, we can talk to you. So they talk for a while until the swan leaves. And then they say, yeah, we, we can't talk to you anymore. So the, you have angels who understand these correspondences are not just getting insight, but somehow getting direction, like the authority that they answer to, which would be God, is somehow talking to them through the, like the animals are like the messengers of God in this case. And I'm sure that we just got the little tippy of the iceberg and how that relationship works. We're just about at the end here. I'm going to do a wonderful recap in a minute. But first, we want to give you one more piece of Swedenborg trivia. So here's our very last one. Can you intuit an animal correspondence? Here you go. 
Everything has a positive and a negative correspondence. So frogs aren't always corresponding to falsities. That's on their negative side. To me, frogs correspond to like, oh, I'm a little kid. I catch a frog. That's really fun. So whatever that is, everything has its positive and its negative. And I was looking up why would cor frogs correspond to falsities, and it's not because they do something negative. It's because the way the the kind of waters that they inhabit correspond to the the like. Swedenborg talks about them in sort of stagnant waters, which some species do, which corresponds to falsities in the minds of spirits. It's a, it's a whole complex thing. We're just, we're just giving you a little bit to chew on here. Hopefully that inspires you to go look at it for yourself, learn more, do better. If I was to give you a takeaway, yeah, you know, it's been a strange sort of ride. I mean, we've, we've got this sense of, wait, what animals are these reflections of feelings? Does that downgrade their status or upgrade it? But but wait, in the spiritual world, everything's representational, so how are they different than people, and are are they real, and, and are, I mean, you know, obviously they're real, but like, what is reality, what's coming through? But what I take out of it is this, we already know animals, I mean, we hang out with them, we we are them in a sense, um, but we, we know animals intimately, we interact with them, what Swedenborg seems to be telling me me is, there's a deeper connection than we even realize. That, you know, there is sort of a longing for harmony with animals. I mean, in a pet relationship, even when I'm out, and I was just at this, um, at this nature preserve this weekend, and I saw this dragonfly. He wasn't doing that well. You know, w wings weren't working great, and I was just feeling this sense of sadness for this dragonfly. There's this longing to live in community and, and be able to sustain and help animals and... and um, coexist in a way that's that's going to go on with animals. I, I see the potential in what Swedenborg is saying, that somehow I and that dragonfly can be one. That that dragonfly, in my mind, speak with each other, embody each other, and, and I can have this relationship. And that the more and more you open up, the more you're connected to all this. And that the, the human-animal relationship goes deeper, is more intimate, is has more potential for deep connection and for peace and unity than you ever would have thought. So hopefully that's the takeaway. And yeah, hopefully we all, our pets are right there and whatever. Or if you, if you had a bunch of pets you never wanted to have to take care of again, someone else will take them or they'll be... In the end, the answer's got to be good. Right? If God is love and God is wisdom, the reality that God has designed has to be awesome. It has to be that everyone, once they fully understand it, says that is amazing. And the joy of the potential to live intimately with other beings, that's the whole point of life, according to God. The human beings, we're all meant to be way, way happier and closer than we are, and we're trying to get there. And I think that extends to animal life and extends to God, and we're all going to end up this happy ball of happiness. Sorry, I don't have a thesaurus, so that's the only words I know. Hope you guys enjoyed it. That's our show for today. Um, if you would like to spread a little message of animal shape-shifting and two-headed turtles to the internet, please like and subscribe. That helps us. It helps YouTube know that we're cool and we're worth promoting to other people, and hopefully they like us and find something that we're looking for. 
if you want to help make this kind of programming possible, we are a nonprofit, so you know shapeshifters aren't going to animate themselves. Please take a minute to listen to. Uh, this is a little bit of our philosophy and how you can support us. We want the ideas and insights we cover to be available for free to anyone, anytime they need them. That's why we offer Swedenborg's books as free downloads on Swedenborg.com, and we produce this show and other content on our Off the Left Eye YouTube channel with no paywall or ads. The only way to keep this up, though, is for those of you who like what we're doing and feel comfortable giving to give. If the idea of helping others have easy access to the content we produce feels meaningful to you, please consider supporting this cause with a donation. Give if you can, receive if you need. If we cycle through this way, in the end, everybody wins. Questions. The lucky, the lucky thing for me is the worse a job I do at explaining things, the better the questions are. So let's get some good ones tonight. Let's take a look at our first question now. John, are there flies and mosquitoes in the spiritual world? Oh, man, yes. But this would be, yeah, It's because I consider myself somebody who is pretty in love with nature. I mean, that was what I used to, what, before I switched majors like everybody does. I was studying biology, I, just the idea of multiple species of animals and ecosystems and everything just drives me nuts with, with happiness. I find myself having a very hard time with mosquitoes, particularly when they're going after my family or that sort of thing. It, it just and the, the, we got this whole Zika fear in the U.S. that they can be vectors for disease. It can be hard to live with particular animals, um, and Swedenborg would say that that's because they are representing this particularly destructive thing. So, in heaven, you wouldn't need what is that stuff? Citronella, right? That keeps them away because there wouldn't be that there's not that kind of mindset in the heaven, so it doesn't, it's not, that environment is not conducive to those kinds of animals. Well, at least the ones that bite, maybe, you know, maybe there are mosquitoes that are just nectar drinkers or something, but Swedenborg does describe flies, I don't know if he ever uses the word mosquitoes, but flies in hell, or in the world of spirits, and, and I'm sure mosquitoes would be there too, and I think angels can observe them, they're just not at risk from being bothered by them, so really the, the, the same annoyance, or the same hardship you know, and it's 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 not even really a game. I mean, if you in Africa, those kinds of places, mosquitoes can horribly disrupt life if they're a vector for disease. So, what I'm trying to say is, the spiritual reality behind them has to do with some kind of, or behind this state that they're in right now, where they're harming animals and people, has to do with some kind of harmful thoughts and feelings, and those all exist in the spiritual world. There's nothing here that's not there. However, because things there have this sort of more moral gravity. You don't have to be around things like you do here. You're not always vulnerable to them like you are here. Those are a few scattered thoughts on that. Great question. Let's look at the next one. What about dinosaurs? I would say the first thing I would do if I get to the other life is say, can I see dinosaurs? Are they here? Where are they? And Swedenborg doesn't talk about dinosaurs, but I've often thought about I think I even mentioned this in another show. It's just all the same, like, four or five things that I ever say. I just repeat them. This is what I want to say, though. I love thinking about the history of life on Earth, all the different ecosystems that have come, the different species of animals, the the yeah, the, the forms that life has taken. Those are must be parts of God, too. You know, what, what are they? What is this? What, what in God could manifest as these huge, amazing creatures like dinosaurs? They've got to be there. There's no way that they could be on the physical world unless they had a spiritual origin, and God is not changing. So 
even though something is no longer represented physically here, the essence behind that has to be there spiritually. So I'm going to be there with you, Zeke, asking whoever it is that you first, the person that gives you your ID when you first get there, where's the dinosaurs? Can I hang out with them? So great question. Next one. Carlos. Hi, Curtis. Hey, Carlos. If this world is a reflection of the spiritual world, what happens in the spiritual world when some species face extinction here on earth? I have, man, have I been wondering that same thing. Um, because it's certainly, so I was going to say, it certainly seems like there are physical causes for these physical extinctions. Like obviously, habitat destruction, um, various kinds of pollutants, uh, you know, the, the change in climate, all this stuff, right? <clears throat> However, all of those have spiritual origins. I mean, you can tell just in the human heart, people aren't caring about preserving this stuff because of things like greed and ignorance, and these are negative spiritual qualities. So there's sort of a spiritual cause for the decline of these species. I don't know what the dynamic is when there's an extinction on Earth. I would, like, is that because the spiritual thing is on decline? Like, why do some species just make it to the brink and others don't? Or is it that there are these spiritual things, and we can destroy the physical means for them to correspond here. And so we lose something, but the, the spiritual thing is still there. I hope it's that, because I hope, you know, yeah, like I was saying, you can get back to all that. I I don't know. I'd love to study that more and figure it out, but I'm, I'm sure that it matters for us to have species here. That if, that if they are these particular correspondences, if they are the outermost forms of these things, and they are affecting the other outermost forms that we got to have them. So I, I think I love that question, um, and I don't know. Because Swedenborg, extinction wasn't something anyone was thinking about in his day. There were a lot less human-caused extinctions, and they weren't chronicled just because the human race just wasn't as ubiquitous and powerful as it is now. And, and they just didn't really value nature like we do now, but, but I like the way you're thinking. I'm not going to give you a good answer, but I like the way you're thinking. All right, next one. Kligervin, does Swedenborg believe in animal evolution? Again, Darwin's theory of evolution wasn't around when he was alive, so he doesn't comment on it. He makes some vague references. You saw one in this show. Uh, an angel says, there was an initial creation of animals, but then they were given physical means of propagation. Um, there's not a lot of material on that. We may try to dig around in it and do a show about creation in general, but but he doesn't really talk about here's when the first ducks were, you know, here's that. So I sort of, he was all about saying the natural world can tell you about the, the spiritual world. So if we're studying the natural world and finding evidence for the evolution of species or by natural selection, then that's got to be telling us something about the spiritual world. Sometimes there's this beef between evolution and, and religion kind of stuff, but I see, so far I see the ideas as harmonizing. And yeah, Let's go learn what's really happening in the physical world. That's our best teacher on what's happening in the spiritual world. So Swedenborg himself doesn't comment much, but if it's really happening, then it's telling us something about spiritual stuff. So that's great. Let's take one more question. <clears throat> Bailey, 31909. What about all the new animals, bugs, fish we are still finding? Like those in the rainforest in Mariana's Trench. So corresponding to things we are still learning, maybe? Oh, I love it. That Absolutely. I mean, there's there's frontiers of of exploration yeah, we just found a new species or like the first time they filmed the giant squid it wasn't that long ago i saw the footage of it the first time they'd ever filmed the living giant squid that's got to mean something it's got to mean like yeah the human race is just discovering 
this thing. And even when we make discoveries about animals, like how they see and how they reproduce and where instincts lie and all this kind of stuff, that's got to correspond to the frontiers of knowledge. Or maybe it corresponds to, in the spiritual world, humanity is learning something, and so we here in the physical world find the species. Either way, I love these last couple of questions, all of them really, because it's about taking this thought of Swedenborg's and translating it into the modern era. Taking modern science, modern ways of thinking, how does that show up now? And I think that's going to be the future of the whole Swedenborg thing, or of the ideas based on his writings, is we take his stuff, look at the current world with it, and see where can we even expand on that. And so it's going to be exciting. Everybody, those are wonderful questions. Hopefully you enjoyed this tonight. I very much enjoyed hanging out with all of you, and I hope that you'll join us next week where we're going to talk about um, the... uh, What are we talking about next week? I'm just trying to remember. Uh, We did the rehearsal for it. Um, It is the... Do you guys know? uh, they're, They're trying to figure it out. I'm blank... Oh, yeah. Thanks. Thanks, voice in the studio. How to Live in Eternity Now. That's the title. Um, And it's all coming back to me now. It's a good one. If you've ever... Man, I wish I could live in eternity now. I wish I could live beyond space and time. We're going to tell you how to do it. See you next week. (music) 